morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everyone. It's 8.49 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's February the 11th, 2019, and this is episode 62 of Bitcoin And. So today, we're going to get into a couple of things. Uh, Steve Barber kills some FUD. Uh, Andrew talks crypto oppression. We'll get into what that is. John Light uncovers some uh, Zcash problems. Uh, Crichton Tuck's BTC anniversary. That's right. We got someone out there who bought BTC for the first time last year at, at this time. That's pretty cool. Uh, like we're going to talk about the, uh, explanation of the Litecoin price increase. Quadriga CX claims it's first life savings victim. You knew that was coming. Uh, the GRN one by obelisk numbers seem high and we'll talk about what that is. And then there is probably a battle brewing between Mark Carpellis and, uh, Mr. Brock Pierce. So that should be fun. Then we'll do Vitals, Torchlight. We'll read Marty's Bent. Uh, I got a daily train wreck. It's not your usual daily train wreck. It's not uh, highlighting something bad. It's highlighting just a, a really good short back and forth between a couple of cats that I, that, uh, I really, really respect. We'll do a Terrible Joke Corner. Uh, which is not going to come from Bad Joke Cat. Uh, this one comes directly from the community. Um, it's pretty good. I like it. Uh, and then we'll get out and get on about our Monday. So <clears throat> let's get into what's going on today. Let me scroll down here. And Steve Barber has a thread. That's fairly short. And I'm going to read through this thing. Uh, let's see. You can find Steve Barber at S G Barber, B A R B O U R. In this thread, I speak truth and counter common Bitcoin FUD. One, there's no such thing as transaction spam. Valid transactions that pay the fee, get in the block, end of story, don't like it, and commit to the repo or fork off. Two, Bitcoin is not a payment system. Visa and PayPal are payment systems. Bitcoin is money, a wealth distribution system. It is the fairest and hardest money man has ever created. Three, Bitcoin is not censor proof. Oh, that's interesting. Bitcoin will be censored and it will not mean Bitcoin is broken. It just means you need to revalue your holdings and adjust your confirmation depth accordingly to the risk as it pertains to you. A little personal responsibility being suggested here. Four, mining has been getting more decentralized with time. It started with one and then two miners. Now there are thousands using cheap energy distributed globally. More and more manufacturers continue to become in invested in the ASIC supply chain. Five, Bitcoin mining is not a waste of energy. In fact, it is good for the environment. Only the most useless, low-opportunity energy is consumed, energy that otherwise would have been wasted. Capital invested in mining displaces inefficient alternate investment opportunities. 6. ASIC-resistant proof-of-work algorithms are bad for the environment. They weigh the dedicated cost, security against censorship, toward CapEx, material sourcing, refinement, and manufacturing, instead of OpEx, electricity generation. Seven, ASIC-resistant or memory-hard proof-of-work algorithms do nothing to decentralize mining. They just shift the dedicated cost to CapEx weighted from OpEx weighted. 
there are few GPU manufacturers or there are fewer GPU manufacturers than ASIC manufacturers. Eight, Bitcoin's application of proof of work is the innovation. The innovation is not blockchain. Proof of work enables the fair distribution of wealth, something that was impossible with previous attempts at internalized systems, e.g. proof of stake. Nine, there is no inflation in Bitcoin. Every new coin that is mined follows a predictable schedule. Therefore, it is priced in upfront and nobody is ever quote unquote diluted. Every mined coin is created from energy at the market rate. Therefore, there is no value debasement. 10. Shit coins will always exist because Bitcoin has a minimum utility threshold. Below that, there is need for substitutes. If you can't pay the fee to get confirmed into the Bitcoin blockchain, use a substitute like fiat, altcoins, or a centralized custodial service. 11. Decentralization is not a state of being. It is an ideal to strive for. A cryptocurrency cannot claim to be decentralized. It might seem decentralized enough until it suddenly isn't. The risk of censorship always exists. It is up to merchants and miners to share that risk. 12. There is no loyalty in mining. A rational miner mines the most profitable coin and invests or trades it for something to hodl. Irrational miners will lose out long-term. Ideological mining is not an effective defense against censorship. It is a sure way to go out of business. And that's the end of that thread. And there's some stuff in there that's going to rankle the crap out of a lot of people, but there's stuff in there that's just, it's just the truth, man. I mean, there is no loyalty in mining and there's, and, and he's and, and one thing that I do like about what he said is that decentra- decentralization is not a state of being. I, I, I tend to agree because at what point do you, you know, at, who decides the threshold over which you cross that something doesn't matter what becomes decentralized? Because the minute that you look to an authority to actually give you that threshold, you're back to centralized. So I, I agree. It's like, you know, I think it's the same question of how much money is enough. As Gene Simmons said famously one time, I will call you and tell you and let you know when I have enough money. Until then, you can F off. I love that. I will call you and tell you when I have enough money. I mean, I guess it's sort of the same way. I will call you and tell you when I decide that the Bitcoin blockchain is decentralized enough. And you have every right to tell me that I am full of it. So anyway, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some good truth to that. Again, all of these things that I'm bringing to you today is in the show notes in my curated, uh, Twitter timeline there, uh, in the show notes, there is a link to my curated Twitter timeline for the morning roundup. And all of this is in there. So next up in the stack, we're getting to uh, Andrew, uh, a.k.a. at cyber underscore Hokey, H-O-K-I-E. And it's a small thread inspired by at Chris J. Franco. One, this is nothing to be ashamed of. You are not alone. The fact you can be open about this is a huge win for you to begin with and an inspiration for many others. So what is he referring to? He's referring to Chris J. Franco's tweet, Confession. I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for so long, I don't know what life is like without it, and I'm ashamed of it. I feel like it holds me back so much. Okay, so Andrew continues with tweet number two in this thread, and it is a thread. It's it's rather, it's rather long, but I got to tell you, it, it's worth it. Uh, depression and anxiety are real problems. And no matter what anybody tells you, uh, it's not, it may all be in your mind, but that doesn't make the sensation of helplessness any less. When you're feeling it, depression and anxiety, when it's hard, when it's hardcore, it, I mean, you might as well just be getting pummeled by somebody who's taken all your money from you in the real world. It's, it, it can get that bad. So Andrew says, two, I see a lot of this in the crypto realm and a huge willingness to be open and upfront about it, which is amazing. 
maybe because Twitter fosters that kind of openness or there is a camaraderie in crypto that encourages it. Unclear, but amazing and wonderful nonetheless. Three. But it led me to thinking about something that scares me. That is stepping back and looking at crypto specifically and whether what is being built is going to add or exacerbate things like anxiety or depression and whether we are at a low point in the good harm ratio. So that'd be ratio of good versus harm. Four, these massive open networks are being built with the promise of trust minimalization and decentralization. No need to worry about rent seekers, intermediaries, overpowered sensors, and authorities. Just trust in the tech or don't and verify it. Sleep better at night type of stuff. Five, but it's not quite so simple yet. It's actually a big, frightening, anxiety-inducing state of affairs, partially due to bad user experience, partially due to price volatility, completely due to relinquishing control either to software, code, or an unpredictable, irrational market. Six, the reason people choose to trust is because it's easy. It's less stressful in the moment. For many, trusting institutions means less personal responsibility, available modes of recovery, the promise of protections, and the backing of a system with perceived legitimacy. Seven, cryptocurrencies offer virtually none of those perceived benefits. You can verify if you know how. Otherwise, it's blind trust or faith in tech, which there is little ability for the layperson to understand and therefore trust yet. For most, that is anxiety-inducing. Couple that with the account of personal responsibility asked of people using cryptocurrencies, and I can't help but wonder is this if this is some of the most anxiety-inducing tech ever created. Again, for now, I'm sure time may change that. People who are using this technology are asked a great many things, far more than your average tech consumer, and it is not easy. It takes knowledge and learning and trial and error and a near constant engagement, even for some of the most simplistic uses like hodling. As a cryptocurrency user, you are tasked with key management, recovery seed protection, knowing the benefits of custodial versus non-custodial wallets, securing your ledger, treasure physically, verifying it periodically, updating it when zero days threaten it, running your own node to take full advantage of trust minimalization, or to use L2 solutions, maintaining it, being able to spot and avoid malicious software clients, wallets, interrogating unsolicited mail, URL for phishing attacks, monitoring SIM, phone service. Assuming every human is trying to scam, steal your crypto, practicing a much higher level of OPSEC because of it, monitoring an extremely volatile market to make sure your wealth isn't quartered over a weekend, monitoring fees for protocol hacks, advisories, monitoring any custodian services you are using for shenanigans, Quadriga CX, definitely not using custodial services despite it being an unspoken necessity at some point, on or offboarding versus the greatest risk, <clears throat> greater risk of local exchange, making sure you have a quick exit plan. If you are using dApps or interacting with smart contracts, at least doing your best research to make sure they're secure, monitoring threads and feeds for potential dApp slash smart contract security incidents, general due diligence on coins, tokens to hodl or use. That's a lot of responsibility, a lot of stress points and anxiety generation. Where someone experiencing anxiety, depression induced by social media after seeing a string of look how great my life is versus yours posts can shut them down, unfollow or delete their account, and hopefully get past the state that's the state induced by that content, it's harder in crypto. You must exit completely. If that's easier said than done, as you're one of the two billion of unbanked and you're already knee deep, that itself is another high stress situation. What do you do? All of these stressors and anxiety-inducing aspects have manifested themselves in an interesting way in crypto, which, as you'd expect, causes even more stress for those plugged in on Reddit, Twitter, etc. Tribalism. The emotional attachment to investment tied to specific cryptocurrencies and their technologies. The thought of one coin's market cap price dropping in favor of another that we don't hold is stressful. It means your wealth parked there may decrease if a challenger emerges. 
So there is an inclination to protect it. Great. More responsibility, more stress, more anxiety. You latch on to prominent figures, beliefs, and narratives, or form them yourself and enter the battle to protect your investment, your wealth storage generation vehicle. At the end of the day, does all this sound good? Does it sound like promises are delivered? Banking the unbanked, unbanking the bank, trust minimization, censorship resistance, decentralization, buzzword number 32, kitschy narrative number 47. Or does it sound like a whole lot of anxiety-inducing inefficiencies, bad user experiences, and irrationality? I'm curious to see what the focus will shift to. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm curious to see when the focus will shift to user experience and stabilization away from useless Twitter debates, tribalist preaching, narrative pushing, and silly charting. When will these be a net benefit for users? When will they mature into stress reducers versus stress inducers? Because right now I feel like I need an SSRI prescription just thinking about what it takes to be actually self-sovereign using this technology. And I think that's a really good thread uh, to go back and maybe read, you know, either read, you know, for yourself one time or maybe a, even a couple of times. Because Andrew's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, you know, we're starting to enter into the realm where this stuff has been around for so long and it has enough people um, that are affected <clears throat> that these uh, these narratives of, you know, in this particular case, the narrative of depression and anxiety, uh, it it's that's a real deal. I mean, it's I have been physically affected on price drops, and I mean, it, it's almost as if the like you know physically affected on the negative, for some reason or another, seems way more powerful than physically affected on the positive. Like I don't know, like when when we just watch this, this thing, you know, not crawl, but rocket up to 20 K, you know, it was like everybody was in a good mood, but what's weird is the good mood part doesn't seem to last as long as the bad mood part. Um, so Andrew's, he's knocking on a door of, of, of some truth here. And I think it would probably behoove all of us to really step back, take a deep breath and think about what Andrew's trying to say, because depression and anxiety, um, as someone who has experienced both, um, not in a, you know, not clinically, um, I feel bad for the people that are, have clinical anxiety or clinical depression where they've actually been diagnosed on the spectrum by a psychiatrist and given a drug for those guys. I mean, if those guys are here and I know that there are a couple that are here, I won't mention any names, uh, but there are people that are prominent in the community that have talked at length about their struggles with depression and anxiety. I got to say, man, Andrew, I, I, I can't disagree with anything that you said, the UX and the way the, the way the, uh, environment is forming, the ecosystem is forming around this stuff is not, it doesn't, it doesn't tickle my happy. Let's, let's just say that it, it has in the past, but the real danger is when it beats you up because that those wounds, those scars, those last a hell of a lot longer than just being happy about a 10% price bump one day, that shit goes away. Somehow or another, the bruises of anxiety and depression last a lifetime. So thank you, Andrew, for uh, kind of bringing that to us. Uh, next on the list is uh, John Light uncovers <clears throat> some uh, some Zcash uh, chicanery. Of course, I don't know if it's actually chicanery, but let, let's see what John says on this one. Um, <clears throat> he starts out by in, in a thread, which I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to get to the meat of this particular one. Um, he's, uh, he wants to audit the Zcash supply. So, um, what he does is he, um, in about the middle of this tweet storm, he double, he says, double checking on my full node, get blockchain info sprout equals some number. It's a whole bunch of numbers. No, no reason to read them. Sapling equals some other number that whatever, <clears throat> and then the uh, get you he uh, asked for uh, the get tx 
uh, TX out info. That's what it looks like. Anyway, the UTX uh, set says that there's some other amount of Zcash. At the end of it, he says, according to my full node, there are 139.0598752 Zcash fewer in existence than there should be. Not a whole lot of Zcash, but the fact that there is any discrepancy at all should kind of set off some alarm bells and, and you know, all that one's a big one. I mean, any discrepancy at all between what one person thinks is the Zcash supply and what another person can find out is the Zcash supply is kind of frightening because right now, okay, it's 139. At one point, at what point does that uh, uh, decimal place change? Yeah. Anyway, so there seems to be some weirdness uh, in the Zcash supply. Uh, Crichton Tuck at Crichton Tuck starts with K says today marks one year since I bought my first Bitcoin. I had no idea what I was doing that day. Yeah, most of us <laughs> thought I was going to get rich only to see the value of what I bought slowly erode away. Thankfully, I fell down the rabbit hole and can say today that Bitcoin has changed me. Hashtag new hodler. <clears throat> I've learned so much in a year. Not only have I learned how to run a Bitcoin and Lightning node and secure my funds with a hardware wallet, but I've increased my overall online security and privacy and learned a great deal about the importance of sound money. I've stood on the shoulders of giants. So far, have been able to avoid most of the hurts that have befallen others along the way, including Quadriga, where I made my first purchase. Today, I have decided to join Crypto Twitter. This is my first tweet ever. I want to use it to thank the giants who have taught me so much through their podcast and tweets. Trace Mayer, Matt O'Dell, Marty Bent, World Crypto Net, The One Vortex, Tone Vase, Perry Rochard. Eternally grateful. And uh, wow, first tweet. Nice, Crichton. I'm totally putting you on my Bitcoin list. I want to. I'm definitely going to follow, be following you. Um, I like his list of podcasts, and with the exception of Matt O'Dell, Marty Bent, and Pierre Rochard, the rest of those uh, podcasts are exactly the same podcasts that that I got sucked into. Starting with, I think it was started with Trace Mayer. Um, tra- the Trace Mayer uh, Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast is, one, was, is still one of my favorites. He's not publishing as much as he used to. Surely, he, I'm pretty sure it's because he's really busy. But um, man, I always, always, always looked forward to the, to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Same with World Crypto Net. You know, Mad Bitcoins and when Vortex was over there, um, I, I loved it. You know, I loved the, uh, the Bitcoin news show that had you know, mad Bitcoins, Vortex, uh, Tone Vase would be there. Uh, who else was there? Um, uh, every once in a while they'd have Trace on, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was great, you know, and, uh, now they've kind of gone their own ways, but that's, yeah, Hey, that's, that's to be expected. Nothing, nothing lasts forever. So um, I'm I'm digging uh, Vortex's new channel. Um, I I I don't listen to Tone Vase as often anymore because I'm just not not much of a technical uh, technical analyst when it comes to charting and stuff like that. But uh, as of late, I've become really enamored with the Ma- uh, Marty Bent's um, Tales from the Crypt, and when, and then when he joins uh, when Matt O'Dell joins him for Rabbit Hole Recap, those are top notch, absolutely top notch. And Pierre Rochard with noted, uh, that, that podcast is awesome. Um, I, I can only hope that I can build this thing into being something, uh, anywhere close to like those anyway. So thank you Crichton for, uh, talking to us about that today. All right. A little bit of news here. Um, what happened to the Litecoin price? <laughs> As you all probably saw, at one point or another, I was seeing a 30% bump in the price overnight. 
I was talking to my wife about it. She's like, what the hell happened? I'm like, I don't know. Nobody knows. I, 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 nobody can figure it out yet. Well, apparently, uh, we've got this Bitcoinist.com article, Litecoin price pumps 10% after Mimblewimble privacy announcement. All right. So here we go. <clears throat> Mimblewimble coming to Litecoin. Data from CoinMarketCap confirms the apparent highly bullish effect of the news on LTC, which at press time was circling $37, its best performance since January the 10th. A blog post February 7th revealed the nonprofit Litecoin Foundation was in talks with privacy-focused developer Beam to offer extension blocks on Litecoin. Beam, which uses its own privacy coin, leverages Mimblewimble technology, a protocol proposed by an anonymous Bitcoin user, which builds on the confidential transaction concept by Blockstream CEO Adam Back. Through extension blocks, Litecoin users will have the option of significantly enhancing their privacy. Quote, we have started exploration towards adding privacy and fungibility to Litecoin by allowing on-chain conversion of regular LTC into a Mimblewimble variant of LTC and vice versa, Beam confirmed in a blog post. Upon such conversion, it will be possible to transact with Mimblewimble LTC in complete confidentiality. A long-term turnaround? Future development will be done under an open source license, the company added, in order to allow the community to benefit from new discoveries. The boost to Litecoin investor confidence comes at a strategic point in cryptocurrency market history. As Bitcoin continues on the longest bear cycle in its history, altcoins have broadly suffered considerably more. Litecoin, which even at $36, still trails 90% lower than its all-time highs of January 2018 has additionally faced criticism in recent times over its ultimate usefulness. As Bitcoin has reported last month, the decision of creator Charlie Lee to divorce himself of his holdings appears to have had a significant effect on the altcoin's image. In August, Lee doubled down on his decision to sell, claiming he would never buy back any of his previous stake, the size of which remains uncertain. And let's see who was the author on this one. Esther Kim wrote this February the 8th, 2019. Thank you, Esther, for that reporting. Uh, yeah, so um, Litecoin. And, and I kind of had a, I don't know, kind of had a bit of an allergic reaction. And then, and then I didn't because I'm not concerned about Litecoin. I'm not really concerned about altcoins. Um, my favorite is Bitcoin. Um, full disclosure, I have a bag of Litecoin. Um, I just never got around to selling it. Um, I also got a bag of Dogecoin. I never got around to selling that either. And I kind of don't want to, I mean, who the hell can sell your, how the hell do you sell your Doge? I mean, it's like, I don't know, putting your puppy in a bag and throwing them off a cliff or something like that. It's just, I don't know, man, that's not kosher. Doge is cute. That's the reason I say that. Do I think it has ultimate utility? (laughs) I don't know. Not really. I mean, (laughs) For some people, it it does. I mean, they use it all the time. Hell, its transactions are more than like a daily 24-hour period on Dogecoin. Smokes, if you add the 24-hour transaction, number of uh, transactions in 24 hours on both BSV and BAB, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. I hate saying those names that way, but somebody may not know what BSV or BAB is. BAB is the old Bitcoin cash, which does technically doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> and, um, BSV is, uh, Craig Wright's, uh, Franken creation. Um, I mean, if you add their, both of those together, if you add their 24 hour transactions, they don't hold a candle to Dogecoin. Come on. I mean, at that point, Dogecoin has more utility, <laughs> than either one of those two combined. So that was that. Oh, Quadriga CX story gets even worse. And you knew it was coming, people. You knew it was coming. It just We just had to wait a little while. But sure enough, Bitcoin investor lost life savings when Quadriga CX didn't issue $422,000 U.S. withdrawal. 
In a matter of weeks, the demise of Quadriga CX, once Canada's largest Bitcoin exchange, has reached the front pages of mainstream media outlets worldwide. Bloomberg, Reuters, and Fox Business are among the mass of notable outlets that have covered the debacle. While their coverage of this situation has brought things to light that should be known, relatively little attention has been given to those effective, a purported 115,000. Some lost close to zero in funds while others lost their life savings. Bloomberg recently sat down with one Canadian client of the platform who lives in the same city that the exchange purportedly has headquarters in. His story wasn't pretty. Please heed his story. Unfortunately, the Quadriga CX case hasn't been without its victims. In the aforementioned interview, victim Tong Zhu explained his story. Zhu, a 30-something Canadian software engineer who held a variety of developing stints in Silicon Valley, moved to Vancouver just months ago in search of something new. As expected, Zhu sought to move his savings, then situated in accounts of American financial institutions, which were valued at over $400,000. While such a move is mandated, especially for so-called repats looking to start anew in their own home nation, Zoo chose a peculiar route. This was, of course, to purchase Bitcoin on American exchanges before moving said cryptocurrency holdings over to Canadian exchanges for subsequent liquidation. Like many newcomers to the Canadian crypto economy, Zoo was drawn in by Quadriga CX, determining that the Vancouver-based exchange was the right platform for him to use. Maybe he thought that he could visit the exchange's offices if things went south. Anyhow, he deposited his Bitcoin, effectively a majority of his liquid assets, and liquidated the cryptocurrency for 560000 Canadian dollars. As Zoo needed the money for a deposit on a Vancouver property, he issued a withdrawal request. Yet Quadriga failed to pay its dues and left Zoo hanging for months on end. He remarked, quote, I wasn't using it for trading. I just wanted to move my money over to my Canadian bank account. What I didn't know was that my withdrawal would be pending or incomplete, and it never got deposited in my bank account. I've been waiting four months so far. While online hearsay indicates that users receive their withdrawals, eventually Quadriga's sudden closure likely put a nail in the coffin for Zoo, so to speak. Zhu, who believes that it isn't curtains closed for the 422000 U.S. that he is owed, is currently coordinating class action efforts with his fellow victims, who have purportedly turned to Bennett Jones LLP and McInnes Cooper. This recent harrowing story comes as Elementus, a blockchain research unit, divulged that there's a chance that Quadriga CX never held 430000 Ethereum in its supposed cold storage wallets. Rumor has it that the company never held $100 million worth of Bitcoin either. My, my, my. So that was from CryptoSumer.com. Um, yeah. Um, wow. You know, I mean, what? We've seen this before. This is, you know, this is like suicide hotline posting on Reddit level crap. Um that's a lot of money to lose. Uh, I just, my, you know, I feel bad for, I feel, I really do. I feel bad, but this is why you hold your own private keys. Uh, there was never a reason to, to take that, um, and, and transfer it to a Canadian exchange. He could have simply put it on a hardware wallet and sent one of those, like, Put it on, uh, you know, have have clones of your hardware wallet. Buy three, uh, buy three ledgers or something, and then you know, clone them. Or in a sense, you know, build a wallet out of one. Get the recovery seed, and then get all those three wallets to have the same seed, so that they're all represent representative of the same wallet. Take one of them, put it in a freaking box, take it to the post office. And say you're mailing a USB key to someone in Canada, mail it to your, you know, mail it to a PO box in Canada that you've already got. And when you get there, go get the ledger and then bit by bit do liquidation, something like that. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to shit on this dude, you know, because he just lost so much money, you know, and it's really going to affect him because I doubt seriously he's ever going to see that money. 
I, I am fairly certain in my bones that Quadriga was a scam exit. I, you know, I don't know if the dude's actually dead or not. Um, it doesn't matter if he did because it's looking more and more like they never held the money. I, you know, I don't even, don't even want to get into that. So that's a terrible thing for Mr. Zoo. Again, uh, heart goes out to him, but it's a lesson. Hold your own private keys. And this is going to go right back to what we were talking about with, with Andrew talking about anxiety inducing shit. The, the least amount of anxiety that I feel is when, when uh, I have Bitcoin on a hardware wallet. I feel an immense amount of anxiety when I have to update the firmware of said wallet, which is why I now have more than one wallet representative, right? So that if when in the firmware update, you know, dies or whatever, which it's done in the past, um, I, I, I don't feel so freaked out because I know that I've at least got another wallet and that in worst case scenario, even if I haven't upgraded the firmware, I might be able to recover and send to yet a different wallet, uh, all my Bitcoin. So it's the least amount of anxiety that I've felt every time that I had Bitcoin on an exchange, like I used to keep it all, you know, all on Coinbase, like many of us did when we first got into this. Um, and it was the day that I pulled it, swept it all into a hardware wallet was, uh, was kind of elative. Let me just put it that way. All right, so uh, getting to the end here, we've got uh, Obelisk. <clears throat> now, the tweet that I have attached to this is, I can only wonder two things here. Are these numbers legit to begin with? If they are, how long will it remain this way? And what this is, is uh, an announcement of the Obelisk GRN1. And uh, model GRN1 with two boards, batch one from Obelisk Mining, one algorithms, Kukka 231 with a maximum hash rate of 100 hashes per second for a power consumption of 800 watts. So what is it? It's a miner for Grin. Specifically, it's an ASIC miner for Grin. So already the algorithm, which I can only assume is Kukka 231, is no longer in the purview of GPU mining. It has already migrated to ASIC manufacturing, which means that there's a foundry cranking out these chips. So what about the numbers? Well, let's look at them. All right, so income. And this is going to be, these numbers are going to be by day, then month, then year. Gross income, $191 a day. Per month, $5,737. Per year, $69,808. Electricity costs per day, $2.69. For a month, $80.64. For a year, $981. Profit per day, $188 per day. Per month, $5,657. Per year, 68827 I mean, come on. Really? I, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy one. And this isn't because I'm, I'm I tend towards uh, maximalism. No, I'm not going to buy this because I don't buy these numbers. I'm not going to get one GRN1 throw it in the corner of my freaking house and make $200 a day. I'm sorry, but that's just, I don't know. Maybe it is true. I don't know. I'm not calling them liars. It's just that I'm looking at these numbers going, how? For what? For one one of these, you're going to make $200 a day. Well, shit. Now I don't have to go be, you know, go to lawyer school, you know, or whatever. I mean, five, you know, if I were, if I was making $5,600 a month net, I'd buy 80 of them, right? But I, I just, I don't know. I don't see these numbers. Now, let's say these numbers are true. How long is this going to last? How long are, is this set of numbers going to last if a foundry is cranking out Kukka 231 ASIC chips? Probably not real long. So 
we'll have to watch what's going on with the obelisk grin one. And other than that, I just, I don't really want to get into that. Um, yeah, be careful folks. And I just saw this this morning, a fake MetaMask app on Google play store hosted crypto malware. And that's an article from CoinDesk. Um, let's, See if we can just get a, a smattering of what's going on here. This is from Yogita Katri. Um, a form of malware that replaces victims' cryptocurrency wallet addresses has been discovered for the first time in an app on Google Play Store. So, yeah, don't. Just don't. Um, let's see. Yeah, just, guys, be really, really careful. This story, I'm not going to read it. Um, you get the gist. It's it's another scam. Uh, it will be in my curated uh, Twitter timeline if you want to see it. Otherwise, just Google fake MetaMask on Google Play and you'll probably get right to it. And last thing up in the stack. Oh my God, Mark Carpellis and Brock Pierce look like they're going to start slugging it out. Why? Because I got it. I got a tweet from Mark Mark Carpellis here and a reply from Brock Pierce. So from Mark Carpellis. Quote, since you've decided to take this to Twitter, I am going to litigate the Gox position, end quote, is what at Brock Pierce told me word for word a few hours later. I certainly hope he's not seriously trying to shut me up, calling on disinformation by putting all Mount Gox creditors in jeopardy. And Brock Pierce replies, Mark knows he sold his 88%. He even sent a letter of confirmation asking me to rescind the agreement shortly after signing. I want creditors to receive the entire surplus. Mark is hoping to pocket the 700 to $800 million. Do you trust Carpellis? So, uh, shit coin fight. Uh, you know, okay. So, anyway, that's going to that's gonna do it for your morning roundup. Vital Statistics is brought to you by bitinfocharts.com. I like it. They're not, guys, every time I say brought to you by, I have no, nobody's given me money to do this. I like bitinfocharts.com because it kind of, it just scoops up a lot of information and gives it to me all in, in, in one shot. So the Bitcoin price on average is 3644 it looks as if the low is going to be over on Bitstamp at five, or I'm sorry, 3,599. And the high is, in fact, on Bitfinex at 3,694. Uh, transaction the last 24 hours is 316,000. Uh, average transaction per hour is 13,000. Sent over the last 24 hours, 1.5 million BTC, which makes sense. That's low. And that makes sense because it was over the weekend. Uh, average cent per hour, 65,000 BTC. The average transaction value is 5 BTC. Median transaction value is 0 0.16 BTC or $57. We're almost up, back up to uh, 10 minutes. <clears throat> Hold. No, no I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking at something completely different. We're almost back up to 10 minutes on the block time. 9 minutes, 56 seconds. Reward per block. It looks like every block is getting about 0 0.1 BTC in fees. And over the last 24 hours, 16.17 BTC in fees have been taken in. Uh, the hash rate has increased 2.55% uh, in the last 24 hours, but we're back below 50, uh, 50 exahashes down to 43 and a half or 43.4 exahashes per second. Uh, last GitHub commit was yesterday on the 10th. Uh, across the board, we got Ethereum sitting at 122, Litecoin at $44, Bcash uh, or BAB at one two, 122, BSV at 66, Ethereum Classic at 4.1, and Dogecoin has come up a little bit, 0.0019, where it had been sitting at 1.8 for a long, long time. And as usual, um, <clears throat> BAB and BSV have about 10,000 transactions 
together over the last 24 hours, whereas Dogecoin has almost 30,000 transactions per hour. And that's going to do it for your vital statistics. All right, today's segment of Torchlight. Uh, let's get right into it. The uh, some of the some of the most uh, recent tweets from Hodelnot, who started this whole thing uh, two days ago. He tweeted out: "The LN Trust Chain has picked up speed. Fourteen hops over the last twenty-four hours. Very cool to see that a lot of smaller accounts get to participate." <coughs> Yeah, I saw a couple of people tweeting about how they wanted to hold the torch before it's nothing but celebrities and billionaires. I I don't know. I I, I think it is cool that like you know, torch bearers like uh, Matt O'Dell can give the torch to somebody like Jack Dorsey. I mean, you know that's that's I don't know, man. There's something there's something about that that has the potential for community building, but you know, we, we shall see, uh, 14 hours ago, Hoodle not, uh, updated some of the, uh, trust chain stats, um, 183 links in the chain, 173 unique participants, 43 countries, 3.13 Bitcoin accumulated transaction amount over the LN over lightning network, which means that, if you add together all the hops and how much, you know, Satoshi's were in all those hops and just add them all together, uh, 3.13 BTC accumulated value has been, uh, involved in this, in this thing. Um, Udi Wertheimer has a tweet thread about the LN trust chain. Let's get into this one. The hashtag LN trust chain is a fun experiment introducing Bitcoiners globally to lightning. Started by Hodelnot, the to- torch passed through Bitcoiners of all shapes, colors, and sizes, even at Jack. So let's do a fun exercise and consider attack vectors. Reckless disclosure thread. All right, so number two, the most obvious attack vector is embedded in the name. Participants can exploit the trust put in them and just fail to pass on the torch and use it to buy themselves a very nice meal instead. It's valued at roughly 100 bucks at this point. Three, but if this happens, who's to blame? Is it the person who last got the torch and didn't pass it on? Or is it the person before that who passed the torch over to someone who isn't trustworthy? Hodel that thought. We'll get back to this in a moment. Four, the torch, however, carries more value than just its monetary worth. See, when one is holding the torch, she gets to announce it on Twitter and enjoy 15 minutes of fame as Bitcoiners flock to her account, pleading to get the torch or 15 hours of fame. Cough at starkness. (laughs) Five, and attention is valuable. What if you can inflate the supply of everyone's attention for a little while to gain some extra attention? Maybe for various projects you're involved with. Okay, let's double spin the LN trust chain. Let's say I get the torch. A few people reply with LN invoices asking that I send the torch over. I send it to one, maybe one I'm affiliated with, and say nothing. That other account announces it got the torch, but another account also announces the same. If I remain silent, there is no way to know which of the two got the torch. Effectively, we inflated the torch supply. Some people watching probably won't even notice, so both accounts will be able to grab attention. Over time, more people will notice and the chain might die. Okay, now back to how one might steal the actual funds. Let's say the torch gets big enough that some crafty mastermind finds it worthwhile to steal. One way to do that while retaining one's reputation is with a Sybil attack. Start by building an army of Twitter sock puppets with varying degrees of reputation, then use one or more reputable ones to ask for the torch. Once you get it, start sending the torch through your many other accounts with decreasing reputations. 10. You don't even have to really send it. Onlookers can't really tell. Just submit the invoices and keep reporting it being sent being sent down the chain. Meanwhile, you control the funds. By the time people find out, it will be hard, impossible to tell who was the first account to cheat. That's it. I'm just having fun, of course. The LN trust chain is really just a fun experiment, and I trust that people won't try to be evil anytime soon. But ask yourself this. How can the chain ever end gracefully without someone breaking the trust? 
12. Feel free to reply with evil attacks. So uh, I did reply to this because that the LN trust chain was already extinguished twice. Um, where, where did I put that thing? And I talked about this on Friday. Um, yeah, let's get into this to see. Yeah, so I, re, I, I tweeted back to Udi. Um, that's all, he, when he wrote, the most obvious attack vector is embedded in the name. Participants can exploit the trust and just fail to pass on the torch, to which I reply, that's already happened twice. And, and Udi didn't know about that. And I mean, this thing's moving so fast, it's damn near impossible to figure out anything, right? And so anyway, so I gave him the names of the two people, which was at SirWisdom69 and at Edward underscore BTC. Both of them stole the torch. Both times the torch was relit by the person who, like the person who sent SirWisdom69 was the person who relit the torch out of his own pocket and restarted the the trust chain. Same thing with Edward uh, underscore BTC. The person that passed Edward the torch um, discovered that Edward didn't have any re, didn't have any uh, I don't know didn't he didn't pass the torch on. So the guy dug into his own pocket and relit the torch himself. So what Udi says is true to a point. Um, this experiment is a you know is everything that Udi says, but in my opinion, it's, it's, it has other facets too. It's, you know, an experiment in trusting each other. It's an experiment in how do you value your reputation? And in Udi's case, it's an experiment on how do you break this thing and not get caught? I mean, I mean he's, he's got some fine points there. My only argument against uh, the Sybil attack one is, man, how much work do you want to spend for 150 bucks? That seems like a lot of a lot of hoops to to jump through to steal 150 bucks. Not that 150 bucks doesn't matter, it does. I mean, I'm not like, you know, rolling in cash or anything like that. But my god almighty, I I can go down and get a job at a Dairy Queen and and make more money there in the same amount of time than it would take me to set all this stuff up. I a lot of that's because uh, I don't know how to go buy accounts because I don't care about learning how, because I don't want to do that. Um, but Udi's got great points. So go read, go read that chain. Take it, you know, think about what he's saying. Uh, you can find Udi Wertheimer at, at U D I W E R T H E I M E R. And, um, I do appreciate Udi for taking, taking his time to kind of run through those. And that is going to do it for your torchlight for, to, for today. All right, Marty's Bent for Friday, February 8th, 2019, issue 416. Uh, I haven't gotten a hold of his new one yet, but this one's good. It always is. Bitcoin works as intended for the people who need it most. And he starts up with a, uh, a local Bitcoins map and says to it, you freaks are looking at an interactive map of global local Bitcoins volume indexed to reflect Bitcoin's utility for individual countries. The newly coined metric usage per online economic person or UPOEP takes the number of people with access to the internet and GDP per capita into consideration when measuring volume to help paint a clearer picture of Bitcoin's relative impact from country to country. Huge shout out to Matt Alborg, who just came out of nowhere and dropped this metric and analysis on everyone without notice. Matt just confirmed what I have been surmising in this rag recently, but could not articulate with data other than pure trading volume. Ten years in, and it seems that Satoshi's mission of providing sovereigns in need with a distributed digital bearer asset they can take complete ownership of is coming to fruition. 
It seems to be a quote here. As a final takeaway, consider that in the fourth quarter of 2018, as Bitcoin price and interest seemed to hit their doldrums, 23 countries on LBC had their best quarters ever. LBC is local Bitcoins, by the way. Almost all of these countries are in the developing world. While some of these volumes may seem insignificant now, consider that less than three years ago, Venezuela's volume less than 1% of what it is now. Wow. Damn, that is a huge increase. This is the most bullish fundamental in Bitcoin right now, and it doesn't look like it has ever caught on in earnest yet. This trend is just getting started. It seems as though we may have reached a tipping point in awareness of understanding of Bitcoin's utility and value proposition. While these developing countries may not be able to produce the capital inflows that their developed counterparts can, the fact that individuals in these countries are using Bitcoin out of pure necessity, enjoying the product, and continuing to buy more is huge. If this trend continues, it's hard to imagine that it will not be picked up by the rest of the world at large, inciting more sovereigns to enter the arena. Slowly but surely, onward. Final thought was trying to be cool and skip steps running up the subway stairs while a bit tipsy last night, hurt my knee and ruined a pair of white vans. Some true NARP shit. Enjoy your weekend, freaks. Oh, man. Sorry about your shoes, bro. Anyway, so yeah, this is cool. And I'm going to try to go through this, uh, the newly coined metric. Because I I mean, I'm looking at this thing. I, I kind of don't even know what the hell to call it. <clears throat> So it looks like it's going to be usage per economic person. I, I think that that's the way it, because the way it's written here is usage per parentheses online in parentheses, economic hyphen person or UP parentheses O in parentheses EP. So that's going to be, yeah, uh, usage per online economic person. Wow. Man, that's a that's a mouthful. <laughs> can we get can we get this renamed? Because that's like wow, it's just gotta peel the layers back on that a little bit. And anyway, so uh, a neat, yeah, a real neat metric. Uh, this is some definitely something to to look at. Um, Ma, uh, Marty uh, links to Matt as well as this metric and the analysis, and then he also gives a couple of links to things that. Uh, he was sur surmising before this thing dropped out of literally nowhere, as is usually happens in Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin world. Um, so anyway, that's going to do it for Marty's Bent. And uh, you can follow Marty Bent at Marty Bent. And uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe to uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt. You can find uh, that uh, Tales from the Crypt account at TFTC21. And it also includes... Um, that <clears throat> they also do rabbit hole recap usually on Fridays when uh, Marty and Matt sit down together and get freaking lit up and, and talk about all the stuff that happened during the week. And it's usually pretty entertaining and, and, and always very informative, uh, in, in, informative anyway. Uh, so that's going to do it for Marty's bit for today. Today's Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Justin Moon and Cal Cobb at underscore Justin Moon underscore and at HODL8333 respectively. And uh, usually I reserve Daily Trainwrecked for stupid, just stupid shit. But this one, A, not is not stupid and B, it was just too good. And somehow or another, it just fits. So this is going to be the first daily train wreck I give to two people that that I I respect both of these guys in the space, and they're not saying anything stupid. It was just the back and forth on this had it had a a cadence and a timing that was you know worthy of you know like some of the, some master comics. So Justin Moon starts out by <clears throat> uh, tweeting out. I want to teach an intensive five-day, quote, learn-to-code class for Bitcoiners. Price would be around $2,000. Head count around six, so you get lots of individual help. I'd host first one in Austin 
anyone interested. Cal Cobb writes, love the idea. To me, it feels too expensive. Just some feedback. Justin writes back, yeah, a few have said this, but at lower price, it's not worth my time. Would take two weeks to prepare and run. Maybe I could do the first one for cheaper, assuming I could run multiple times. To which Cal Cobb writes back, I hear you. $12,000 for a couple of weeks work. That's the sort of work I need to be doing. Justin Moon, learn to code. Smack. Bip, bip, bip. Would you smack? Smack that cat, dude. Oh, wow. (laughs) I thought that was, I just, I thought that was really, really funny. Just the whole taking, you know, it's sort of like we're taking it back. We're taking Learn to Code back. You know, now it's going to be just basically bitch slapping everybody with Learn to Code rather than just journalists. (laughs) Anyway, that's going to be your daily trade wreck for the day. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by at QT Anon One. Like I said, kind of coming from the community. I love it. For years, I was against organ transplants. Then I had a change of heart. Man, that's right up there. That is right up there with the worst of the worst of the worst. Good job, QT Anon. Seriously, dude, that was not bad. Not bad. I don't care if you found it somewhere else. I don't care if it's somebody else's. The fact that you brought it here, thumbs up, bro. So that's going to do it for Terrible Joke Corner. Okay, boys and girls, that's it for me today. I'm out. Um, I do want to say a couple of things before I leave. uh, One of uh, the things that I picked up this weekend uh, on uh, Bitcoin and crypto Twitter was that there is an increasing amount of salt. Uh, People are really starting to to throw shade at each other in a big, big way. Uh, fights are getting bad or have been getting bad. Uh, I've been adding more and more people to my, my Bitcoin list, which is one of my main inlets of information. And, uh, so it may have been the change of, of personnel or the not change, but the addition of personnel to the, uh, to the list. I don't think so. I think this is more about the longest bear market that we've ever suffered. Um, a propensity of people to shit fork. Um, I mean, hell, even even uh, Santi, I think it's Santi Siri, um, has gone. Uh, looks like he's jumped off the Bitcoin train and has gone over to Ethereum, um, leaving some really harsh words uh, about Bitcoin maximalism in general. Um, you know, it is it is what it is. But it, you know, I'm I'm so, sort of seeing. I don't know, like some, some turnover. There's a, there's a phenomenon in uh, hydrology that is called turnover. Like, you know, thinking about like a a lake, uh, because the way that temperature works, uh, the top of the water of a a body of water will freeze first and, and it gets colder as it goes down because the bottom of the water is insulated by the, the, the landform in which it's contained. And what happens is you get colder water on top and warmer water underneath. And as we all know, warm comes to the surface Um, and that's called turnover. And it will cause like as that warm water rises, it's going to bring grit and fish poop and whatever is, you know, rotten vegetation, you name it. And it turns the lake over. This is, you know, this is a natural occurrence and it's actually kind of healthy for the lake, but it is not healthy for the people drinking water downstream of that thing because it is filled with shit. And that's what this looks like to me is that it it looks like we're, you know, looking at getting filled with shit. But 
<clears throat> the ways to counteract that, I would take what, what Cyber Hokie had to say today at heart. And I would think very seriously about um, thinking about depression, thinking about anxiety, taking an audit of yourself and seeing, are you experiencing depression? And if so, is it caused directly by, you know, altcoinery or Bitcoinery or having to hold your private wallet or, you know, responsibility? Is, is any of that also or, or instead causing anxiety? It may be a good idea to kind of stop, take a step back, take a deep breath and decide whether or not we're getting pummeled. And if so, to, you know, maybe back off from all that. Um, your mental health, aside from your physical health, your mental health is the most precious thing that you can have. Being able to, to wake up and not fear the day um, is a precious commodity to have. And it should not, I repeat, should not be short sold. I'm serious. Uh, it's, it's one of the most important things uh, that you can possess is uh, having peace of mind. So with that said, if you find yourself getting anxious or depressed by what's going on, either in, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter, crypto, Twitter, whoever it is that still actually goes over to Reddit, I refuse because of what I just said. I absolutely refuse to go look at anything on Reddit. It's just a, it, uh, our, Bit, our Bitcoin and RBTC, both of them can go. I, I would rather stuff both of them in a brown paper bag, douse it with diesel and light it on fricking fire before actually giving my time and energy to those cesspools. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. And it's one of the ways that I stopped getting anxious about stuff. Reading that, ugh, that's not good for you. Anyway, keep that in mind. Keep your, you know, keep your body healthy, but also uh, pay attention to what your mind's trying to tell you and your gut feelings. What, what, is, what is your gut trying to tell you? These are really, really important things. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.